Maureen Milliken. And I'm Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast that's going on vacation for a few weeks. Yeah, we're going to take a few weeks off. Yeah, for a the summer, summer break. For summer break. Yep. Not We've because got a lot going on. Right. Not vacation. It's not. We'll be working, just not on this podcast. Yeah. We figure we're halfway halfway through. We've been podcasting. We've got 31 episodes out, not yeah. including this bonus mini episode. Actually, more than 31, because we also we had, had the bonus, bonus yeah. episode. So it was time to take a few weeks off. It's summer in Maine. I've been sick for a few weeks, so I'm trying and to And I have recover. a lot of work to do. One of my other personas is I'm a judge, and I have been for several years in the Writer's Digest self-published contest. And don't I always vow not to do that again? Yes. But I've told I have, you, every single time it comes up, I'm like, you don't have time to do that. I know, but I have 75 books to read by August 1st. Self-published books. Self-published books. Which makes it even more fun. No offense to no. anyone, because there are some good ones, because you've given me some that you liked, and I have read some good books. There, I there are, and one of the biggest issues I find was self-published the self-published books i read for this contest and i've read more than 600 Uh, over the past few years and for every single one it's not like i can just fake it because you have to give a critique a 200 to 300 word critique and you also have to rate them on a number of things so i have to you know read them and here are the are the two issues the two biggest issues i see and if you're a self-published writer you might want you might want to keep this in mind i see a lack of professionalism as far as formatting and understanding what your formatting should look like as well as editing and even if you have like a next door neighbor who's an English teacher or your mom is a really good speller you want to pay the money and I'm I'm not plugging myself because I don't do books from individuals anymore but you want to pay for a professional editor and that could be a couple thousand dollars yeah you could have someone proofread it because I would say of the hundreds of books I've read Less than a dozen were professionally edited enough that my criterion is that would this book be on a shelf in a store? And what I believe it was a professional book for every 25 books I read, I send one back to be in the next tier of the contest. And if the book is really poorly edited or formatted, it immediately isn't moving on. Well, you know, I know people who are self-publishing don't have a lot of money. But if you're serious about, and I'm not a writer, and I'm not, I don't think I will ever write a book. But if you're serious about being a writer, then you have to realize, again, I'm just pulling this out of my ass because I don't know anything. But any every single writer that's on the best-selling list has been edited. Oh, yeah. Many fact, times. my books, before I send mine to my publisher, I have someone edit them. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's an editor edit them. And I'm lucky enough to have a lot of friends who are editors, so I don't have to spend a lot of money on it. And, and I self-edit. between having someone read it and, and catch typos or, or read it and catch... Well, also stuff. you want the I mean, person. I mean, you do want people to read it. And you want the it. person to understand Chicago style. Yeah. In fact, the people I've had to edit mine have all been people who have worked in the newspaper business, and I actually give them like a tips. I send them an email or whatever on what the difference is between AP style and Chicago style, so they're not wasting their time. And there are a lot of differences, punctuation and other types of things. The other issue I see, and it's kind of related to this, and it all comes back to respecting the craft and understanding that writing is hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that a lot of the books I see are first drafts. People think they're finished with their book, and they're not finished with their book at all. In both of my published mystery novels, I can't tell you how many revisions I did. And everybody does it different ways. And my writing style is like two steps up and one step back. It's not really linear. But I revise 
you know, for basic self-editing things, but I also revise for setting. Like right now on my third book, I'm kind of racing through, not racing through, but I want to get the story down. Yes, yep. And so I'm leaving a lot of things as far as how well it's written mm-hmm. and setting because it's very important to me. Mine, mine take place in Franklin County, Maine. It's important that I get the setting right. Those things I leave for another go-round yeah. and I fill them out. And so it's a long process, and I know everyone who's writing a book, and I'm no different than anyone else, wants it to be done and published and in their hands, but you can't rush it. And I know TV and movies have done a disservice because you see the writer, dum-da-dum, like the Castle end. or it's done. you know James Kind of Misery or whoever, yeah, just dum-da-dum-da-dum writing and boom, it's done, and that's not the way it works. So in any case, I have about, of those 75, probably about 65 yet to tackle, uh. and so that's a lot of work. And if you've entered the contest, I'm probably not the judge reading your book, so don't worry about it. Well, <laughs> but I have, do just know that, you know, it's if you get rejected, just, I mean, I'm it's not, not really rejected. It's you well, don't you, win. Yeah, Everybody don't who's, win. I know, well, I know. What and if saying. the judge, if you have entered the contest, the judge, it should be giving you a fair yes. critique and you should take it seriously instead yeah. of getting your back up. Yes. Of all the books, and we're supposed to hang on to our critiques, I do them all in Word and then put them into the computer mm-hmm. system. And we're supposed to hang on to the books, too, until it's passed and in case people have issues. And of all the books I've ever done in that contest, only one person came back with an issue about my critique, and he was proven wrong. Ah. So when somebody's editing your book, don't get your back up, but think seriously. They're not. I'm an artist. I'm not a writer. But one of the things that's hard when you're a visual artist, when you're not in school or you're not in a in a drawing group or something, is to have someone critique your work, and sometimes you want it. If you're working on something that's... The stuff I do now, I'm not really interested in in anyone critiquing because I just do it for my own gratification. But when you're trying to learn something or you're trying to do something, you really need somebody to look at it. Sometimes you know something's not working, and you need someone to look at it and give their honest constructive criticism and when you're a writer I think that is probably even more important you need if you're gonna do something creative anything creative whether you're an actor or a singer or a writer you need to be open to somebody who wants to tell you how to improve it maybe you don't agree with them because maybe their criticism is something that's not relevant but a lot of times if you have an open mind you can take at least some of it yes and what you do think about it and everybody who everybody who's interested in writing or wants to be a writer should read Stephen King's on writing yeah. And it's like the first half is an autobiography. The second half is about his writing process and everything. It's very interesting. And one of the things he says is when you ask for feedback on your book, you're going to get a lot of feedback. And some of it's distracting and pointless. But if several people are saying the same thing or somebody you respect is saying something, you know, you have to learn to discern what's helpful criticism and what's not. But the foundation of that is understanding that you need to listen to the criticism. And I've heard, um, and I might have been Sherwood Schwartz that said it, but other people have said the similar thing because we're reading And the reference the to Sherwood Schwartz. Oh, sorry, it was our Brady. It was our Brady podcast. Too. Yeah. And we'll talk about it in a minute. But yeah, he wrote Brady, Brady, Brady. He's, He's the creator, creator of Gilligan's Brady Island and, and the Brady and Bunch. Brady Bunch. But, but anyways... He's not the only one that said it, and you've said similar things too, Mo, that if one person says something, if one person criticizes something and you don't agree with it, then, you know, maybe it's just a difference of opinion. But if a lot of people tell you the same criticism, then it's something you really need to pay attention to. And it's hard with your own book 
to have and sometimes they're wrong too the but. objectivity and you can you want to if you're going to fight battles with your publisher or editor or whoever on it you want to come from a place of being sure of what you're fighting for but also like my first book i made the mistake of having probably a dozen people mm. read the first draft and it was less helpful than it should have been. And I pared that down to some, to three or four really good readers. Becky's one group. of them, my core group of well, readers. Because we know what, I, I think I know you well enough to know what you're going for. Yeah. And also, one of the big issues is, you know, I have issues of plot. And, and when you're writing, especially with my writing process, where I'm going back and forth and I haven't totally figured the plot out as it's going along, you should hear me. I was trying to explain it to Dad yesterday, oh. and it just sounds so tangled and convoluted. But in any case, it helps when somebody who knows nothing about it and hasn't been involved in the whole process reads it and says, "Whoa, you know what happened with this yes, person?" You need someone. You need to clarify this or what? Yes, what happened there? I know when I'm reading it, I do the plot line is because I know the other stuff that you can you you'll deal with, like if there's a clunky dialogue or something like that you usually want us to look at big picture things yeah big i don't want to hear that yeah. i'm missing a semicolon on yeah. page 237 yeah. yeah and i do hear that and but i know I mean, i'm not and the big picture things but if there is a conversation that's that's hard to to understand for some reason you know i would yes. say that but you know stuff like that and, and some things too it's hard sometimes to have perspective and if you've been working on a book a long time and you're kind of yes. immersed in it you there are certain things you you feel really beholden to that you shouldn't be for instance yes. my second book and it was right up when i had sent it to the publisher one of the people who read it one of his biggest things was the scene you have in the second or third chapter should be the opening scene. And I was really resistant to it. And part of it was a lot of the information for that scene came from him. He helped me with hunting stuff. Uh, I'm not going to hunt. And, um, and it wasn't like, oh, he's saying that, no, so I'm not going to no. do it. But more like I wondered, and he even admitted about his objectivity, but he said, I really think that should be the opening scene. And I resisted it. And I realized the more I thought about it, because I'm kind of a knee-jerk resistor in some yeah. cases. Yeah, well, sometimes you gotta be. But that I was resisting because, first of all, I had always envisioned the scene I had opening mm -hmm. the book as the opening scene. The other thing was, I said to myself, well, if I move that scene, I'm going to have to completely rewrite those three chapters, and it's going to be a lot of work, and I thought the book was done, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I said to myself, and this was like a 24-hour thought process, well... I want the book to be as good as it can be. He's right that that scene should be the opening scene. It's a compelling scene. And it is a scene, very good scene. It draws you right in. And Although I, some people think it's grisly. Well, yeah. they can, you know, then they but shouldn't the, be reading my books. Yeah, that's true. You know, trigger warning, there's grisly things in my murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> They're not cozies. They're not cozies. Not that there's anything wrong with But cozies. I don't have gratuitous like stuff, but I do like some grisly stuff. And F-bombs. Yeah, lots of F-bombs. Because it's normal people talking mm -hmm. normally. Like us. Like us. Yeah, fucking A. So, you have to, and we went, we are talking about writing a lot longer than I planned. I know. But, so you have to take into account that and so that's what i'm doing on my summer vacation aside from some other things i'm not and, doing much but what i'm saying is i'm also i'm actually going to be teaching a adult ed course here in south portland adult in the fall ed like is that like adult films yes it is it's how to be a porn star <laughs> no it's not it's sorry because i had noticed there's a lot of adult ed writing courses creative writing courses and memoir writing courses but from my experience 
I've noticed how people get their books written and get a lot of help doing that, and then are kind of lost. Do they do, yeah. And so my course is going to be how to make your book publishable. It's an eight-hour course. Nice. And it's going to be two hours on writing and self-editing, two hours on formatting, two hours on submitting and querying, and two hours on marketing. Maybe the uh, if they decide to go after taking your course, if they decide to go the self-published route, lots of future Reader's Digest judges will thank you. Writer's Digest. Oh, sorry. Yes, Writer's they Digest. They may. And I also may... The some, Reader's Digest are the, are the uh, condensed version. I may someday make, make that course into a book itself. I don't know. But it's. Ooh. But I'm... I feel like it's reading all these self-published books that there's a big gap there. And like people sure don't know anything people, about formatting. And the thing is, a lot of them would probably welcome. Yes. They, they don't know. Well, they're pairing me. The adult ed people are pairing me with somebody who's teaching a creative writing thing. So yeah. it's so it's going to be good. The thing is, my driver's license has expired. And all you cops, it'll be, I'll have it renewed before yeah, but this you airs. gotta think you gotta drop some names if you get but, stuck but gotta... the thing is i'm a friend of bruce coffin <laughs> former head of detectives sorry, in portland and a great mystery my writer. And butthead laugh is was too loud there, but sorry. i also have to get fingerprinted and stuff because i'll be teaching even though it's adult ed in the public school system in maine you have to get fingerprinted and have a background Ooh. check and i can't do that with an expired driver's license ah you're so it's criminal quite the tangle. right now i'm Right, right, right now I'm off. And the, And do you have the five hours to spend at the DMV is the other thing. You better bring yeah. your laptop. I'm going to the one you. in Scarborough. It does I'll matter. bring my Kindle. What else we're doing this summer is even though this podcast is going on summer vacation, GroovyTube. Yes, GroovyTube. And if you guys are listening to this, you may want to check it out. Season one is The Crimes of the Brady Bunch. Yeah. We go through it six episodes at a time. Four is seven episodes because yes, we want to finish season one. But we talk about the episodes and we talk about themes we see yeah, themes. from our 21st century adult perspective. We have some backup materials that we're using. Brady, 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 which we mentioned before. By Sherwood and Lloyd Schwartz. Growing Up Brady by Barry Williams. And Bradypedia, which just came out by Erica Wolk, so we're not... And we also read... I read Maureen McCormick's biography, which So is, did I. It's all right. She, it's not detail-rich, though. No. But so we're trying to... She doesn't name names. We're not just blabbering about our opinions and stuff. Which but, we do, but... But we, but we also have some fun facts yeah. and interesting things, and... We, and if you're from... Even if you're not from our generation, you know that show is still in syndication somewhere. Right. All of us have watched it. Yes, and even if you live in a foreign country and don't watch it, you can find it on YouTube, and you may hear us talk about it and want to see what... And they do watch it, according to Sherwood and, and Lloyd. They and want to see what Hollywood producers' idea of American suburban life in the 1960s and Some early 70s was, was like. Well, Lloyd yeah. Schwartz says in Brady, 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 that it may not be other people's reality, but a lot of the plots were actually based on things that had happened yes. to people, and like having a maid was his reality. Yeah, so and some people do. Yeah, so... Um, We're doing. We still can't figure out what her role is, but we'll save that for. Well, the I have actually tubes. in when we talk about the last two episodes of season one, I have some very interesting things to say about oh, Al- Alice's role. I at least bet inter- you do. At least they're interesting to me. Yes. And another thing I'm doing is I have another podcast of my own. Yes, you're very busy, aren't you? I am, and Mom is very critical of all my podcasting. Notes from a cranky editor. Every week I just take on a different little topic. Some of them are stylistic or writing, different things. I just dropped one 
about um, because I have to read and have had to read for many jobs so many press releases and there. Yes, are, I just listened to that. Did, one. did you learn anything? Yes, actually, I did. And you don't need to deal with press releases, and yet you still learn no, something. I and that one was, I think, sixteen Unless, minutes. Because if we ever have to write one to tell our podcast, right. you're going to write them. So yeah, I will. And that one was 16 minutes. I think my holiday one, because I covered every holiday, was 27. Yes, but was usually, tear I was. But usually they're four or five minutes. Yeah. It's called Notes from a Cranky Editor. And you can find it, and I have a website, Millican Editing. And if you do any kind of writing, business writing, if you're involved in web content for your company or something, it's, it's a good thing to Or if you're to. just interested in... I think everybody should should be try a, to be a, a good writer. A there clear, are enough concise writer you get your point across yes. not that people read the many emails i send at work uh-huh. but well i'm like the bob uh, reed of my I, work i know <laughs> that's another groovy tube uh reference, reference. you'll have to listen yeah. but it's also i think for people who just want to be able to communicate i mean there's a lot of different things some people if you want to be interested if you want to do what me and dad do and just sit there and yell at the TV news for half an hour because of some of the silly things they do. You may want to listen. Every episode is different. Some are about stylistic or writing things. My War on Adjectives series is going to start soon. It won't be every week, but I'll intersperse. Or adverbs, too. And adverbs, too. Yes. I was just going to do what one. Stephen King said. The road to hell is paved with adverbs. He, and he's right. But I was thinking of just doing one or two, and then I realized I need to do ones for specific adverbs. You know, that reminds me. And I may sound crazy, but I'm crazy like a. But when like an editor, when you gave me that DVD of the Schoolhouse Rock, Hannah's favorite, her favorite one. She kept me made me play it so many times. She was probably about two and a half, two maybe two Mm -hmm. and a half. That uh, there was one called Lolly Lolly Lolly. Get your adverbs here. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like conjunction junction. Yeah, well, that she liked, but What's she loved lo- she loved that adverb one. And, and I'm like, don't use adverbs. I actually you really really have to. I actually got an A on my American government final in high school because the final, I think third of it or something, was how does a bill become a law. Ooh, explain you, how a bill becomes a law. And you had that little. I'm just a bill. bill. Yeah, the I had the whole guy. song memorized. Uh, so that's a veto. I don't even know what they have on anymore. That stuff. Yeah, Anyways, that was, but so. my my daughter does watch. One of the things she wa- likes to watch on YouTube are TED Talks all the time. So. I still haven't figured out what TED stands for, but just the thought of them bores the shit out of me. Technology, education, design, maybe something like that. Somebody, one of our listeners can tell us. Yeah, see, some of them us. are very interesting. Some of them are not. But she watches the right. So know. we're and we're doing She's the smarter than me. And we're doing the Brady. I mean the Groovy Tube podcast. Yes, which is a lot of fun. Yes, it is. And, and but here's but we're also thinking about what episodes we're going to be doing for this when we come back and stuff. Yes. the first week of August. Well, I could tell you what I'm going to do. I guess. Well, why don't we? Just, I'm working on one about uh, murders on the Appalachian Trail, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Because I you talk about yourself again. Uh, yeah, I am. Just for a second, okay? Because right. I'm writing. Because you know when I'm writing, how immersed I am in mm-hmm. my writing. And my third mystery novel, the Bernie O'Day mystery series. And you, and let's just have a disclaimer here. You're not doing that just so I could plug my book. No, I wasn't. So, and my book isn't out yet. Hopefully, I'm not doing it for Momo to plug her book. I'm doing it because I. It was right. interesting. To but me. the there's a changeover at my publisher, and I'm not sure if that book, even if I get it done on time, will be out this year. But let's ah. I know. But in any case, your, your fans are champing at the bit. The premise is there's a woman who, who's a through hiker on the Appalachian Trail, a woman in her 50s and her friends 
all took off time from work to be her support crew and stuff. And she gets lost on the trail. Much and it, like Geraldine Much Largan. like Geraldine Largay, and that's what inspired it. Mm. And she's so close to death, she probably couldn't be Aww. saved. But somebody murders her. <gasps> Spoiler! Why? Well, no, you find that out in the I very know. beginning of the book. And there's a lot of other things. The Geraldine Largay case, his, which is a woman who got lost on the trail and her remains were found. You can do that were found. I will. Well, what I planned to do when my book came out. distance from it, though. Yeah. When my book came out was talk about her, Christopher Knight, not the one on the Brady Bunch, but <laughs> the one who's known as the North Pond Hermit. Yes. And Robert Burton. He could be the same person. Oh, yes. I know he's not. And um, the other one was on reality Robert TV. Burton, not the actor, but the guy who... That was sh- Richard Burton. Anyway. Sh- oh, that's right. Shot his girlfriend in Parkman and took off and was running around in the woods of yes. Somerset and Piscataquis counties in Maine two Man summers hunt. ago for nine weeks before they caught him. And I kind of combined those all. I like to have plots where there's a lot of things that look... Like, they're not connected, and then they all come together. Yes. And I don't even know when I'm writing. How it's, I think I kind of do it because I enjoy writing. I, I enjoy setting up these situations and trying to make myself make well, them. Well, as a reader, I like it when you're reading. You're reading different storylines in the book, and you're wondering how are these going to... How is it, how are these storylines going to come together? So right. I like that type. So anyway, but you were saying I don't know what I was saying. But um, anyway, so Appalachian Trail murders. I also, if people from Maine will know who Dennis Deshane is. Yes, Dennis Deshane has been in prison for over thirty years, I believe. Yeah, since the nineteen eighties. Since the eighties, I'm trying to remember when it happened. Maybe about thirty years, thirty-one years, maybe. He uh, was arrested and convicted of the murder of a 12-year-old girl, Sarah Cherry. And since he's been in prison, there have been people who, including himself, that insist he's innocent. And it's a very interesting case. I don't really want to go into it uh, now, but... uh, for people who aren't from Maine, I think it'd be an interesting case. For people from Maine, we've all heard every time anything happens with them, there have been a lot of front page stories about him, even recently. I think it's 1988 when he was, so when it'll be he was 30 convicted. Years, yeah, yeah. When he went to prison. Okay. And he, it, there is a compelling argument to be made for the fact that he didn't do it. Yes, I believe so too. And, we'll, and it's funny because when he first, when he was first arrested and convicted, I thought he did it. Yeah. Because of what sounds, what I was being, but what what was all, being why it was being reported and right. everything, and, and 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 it's a big lesson too on how the information the media gives you easily colors. Well, like you were talking about um, the uh, crime, the uh, that the uh, documentary, the um, the staircase. Mm. I mean, there are two different sides to that. They left out a lot of stuff that would have made Michael Peterson look more guilty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, one thing we, we were going to talk about today was the Sanborn case that we've talked well, about I, a couple Yeah, times. I was going to mention that. But I was going to, com- before we get, talk about him, Anthony Sanborn, uh, Brendan Dassey, if you watched mm. um, if you watch Making a Murderer, mm-mm, he was the nephew mm-mm. of Stephen Avery. Avery. Thank you. The prosecution is digging its heels in and they're making the poor kid stay in prison and and it's obvious no matter what happened to that woman that this kid was railroaded i know i mean and taken advantage of it's criminal anyone that saw anyone that sees the tape of his confession unless you're really really cynical pro-prosecution anti 
developmentally disabled teenage kid person. I mean, anyone that saw that tape, well, he was being fed stuff to say. It was horrible. And then what's what was horrible to me is his first attorney was awful, uh, and the attorney's investigator made the kid convict himself. Yes. It, it was horrible. forced him over and over. Oh, that poor the, kid. And at first the kid was like, no, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. But the the point, what I was saying was, in contrast to Anthony Sanborn, who is allowed to be out of prison until things are decided, this kid, even though his conviction was overturned, yeah. wasn't it? They're still not letting him out of prison, I which I think is totally unfair. Prosecutors who can't admit that they could have been wrong... Uh, hurt the and justice. the judge is allowing them to to right. get their way. Get, let the kid out of prison. Put him, you know, put an ankle bracelet on him if you have to. But Jesus, Christ. prosecutors who can't admit they were wrong hurt the justice system more than any other aspect because it calls into question. Because everybody's human. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors get things wrong. Cops can get things wrong. Juries can get things wrong. Judges can get things wrong. And when Evidence seems to show that somebody was wrongly convicted or that a prosecutor made a mistake or somebody made a mistake. The justice system doesn't work unless prosecutors can take a step back and say, yeah, that didn't happen the way the system is set up for it to happen and we need, need, they need to it's, do it over. It's, they need to get over this, and the defense attorneys are the same way in some ways, over this winning and losing thing and I don't want to loss on my record. I don't want to, you know... It, or the, we put so much time into that and the everything. The common goal has to be is the right person in it being punished, because that's what it is, punishment. Is justice being served? Were everyone's constitutional rights upheld? It can't be, well, I, I said this guy was guilty. He was convicted. I don't care what anyone else says. He's mm. not... He's guilty. I mean, that... And so... One of the things we'll do when we come back from vacation is we're definitely going to have another Anthony Sanborn yes, episode yes. because his the latest in that is he was supposed to go to court this month in July to determine whether he should be tried again for the charges of killing Jessica Briggs in 1989. And if you don't know what we're talking about, it's episode 22. Yeah. And we also talk about it in episode 31. When and I talk about the Connecticut Valley serial mini killer. episode, a bonus. Letter. Yeah, so we'll either do a bonus or we'll do a full-blown episode when we come back from vacation on that. We also, I also plan to do something that's near and dear to my heart that many of you probably haven't heard about, the Bennington Triangle. Ooh. And that's an area of Bennington, Vermont, where mysterious disappearances yes. have happened in the woods. And a friend of my mystery writer, Jem Blood, whose mystery series, The Darkest Thread, is the name of the first in that series, oh, okay. takes place in the Bennington Triangle. Her protagonist has um, a tracking dog. And so Jen is going to be a special guest on the podcast to talk about the Bennington Triangle. And she's got a podcast coming out. I don't know what the name of it is, but she's an animal expert, an animal lover, She's going to have an animal-related oh. podcast coming out that's going to be pretty cool that we'll tell you more about when she's well, done. We like having guests on. Yes, we do. I'm sure. And now that we figured out, now that we figured out our mechanics a little more, maybe. And, and that's something we should mention. We had some sound problems. Oh yes, we should have mentioned last that at the week. Beginning. We had, um, we apologize for the for the technical part of it was I had I had dropped my microphone and it was going <laughs> and out, and then we had I had trouble. Figuring out some, so I won't go into all the details, but we think we figured it out hopefully yes. this week. And this, I don't think the sound quality was so bad you can't listen you to can it. You can understand. I mean, I listened to <laughs> you it. You can understand it. 
It's just that there's an unevenness of some of the Obvious. sound quality. It just sounds like I'm on the phone to you or something. Or, no, I'm on the phone to you. Well, it sounds like I'm talking and you're, like, on speakerphone is what it sounds like. Right. Yeah. What Whatevs. We're amateurs, people. We are amateurs. Come on. Although, just no like with the self-published writers, you know. I know. And you still have to make it as good as you can. And I think that goes for our podcast. I mean, we're trying. Even though we say, you know, we're amateurs, we're not trained. We still Obviously, try. We're try- yes. We, we want to make it as good as. We're not like, oh, we're amateurs, so we don't care if we suck. Right. That's and not and what us we're saying, saying. We are. We just want our, our listeners to know that we are. Right. And us saying we're that we're. We're trying to improve. So. Right. And us saying that. We're, we are who we are as far as personalities and our voices and stuff style. goes. Isn't the same as saying we're amateurs. Because I know, because we've talked in the past about criticisms we've gotten about how our voices sound. But people criticize I know. women's voices quite they, a bit. They do. I noticed, especially There's in other the... There's other pod- women podcasters that have the same the pod issues. In Yes. And also... And I'm, I'm, I hate. I know my voice sucks. How we interact with each other. And also the way we present our information, I think. We're not Case Files, which is one of my favorite podcasts. We're not just telling a story we're telling a story from our from our perspective and our personalities right and we one of the th- one of the things that made this podcast arise in the first place was the discussions we would have with each other about things that happened or things we watched on TV <laughs> or books we read we wanted to share those discussions <laughs> with the rest of the world because why wouldn't we why and not? and before we go, maybe we should talk about want to talk about some of the books we're going to be reading and things we're going to be watching between now and when people are listening to One us. One book that the next book I'm reading after this, I'm reading Brady, Brady, Brady right now because mm. I want to finish. That it. goes really fast. It does. It's kind of interesting. I mean, it it's is, very it's interesting because they're good. And also, writers you know, he comes from a place of knowledge. He's and not they're just funny some too. Yeah, he is funny. They are funny. It's funny. In fact, I think that for one of our and um, just I'll tell people for the setup. Sherwood Schwartz writes several chapters about how the series was created. Then his son Lloyd, who started as a dialogue coach for the kids, and he was a young, he was in his early twenties, and then became a an associate producer and a lot of other things writes the rest of the chapters yeah, and it's so about and they're both good writers yes, and, and they have and a lot funny. of a lot of good details um also after reading this i think we already thought we might do gilligan's island but i want to do gilligan's island for our groovy tube at, at some point mm, well it's going to have to be like our sixth season because yeah, we are not not doing the mod squad i know we're going to do the mod squad and also you wanted to i want to do room, room 20 and then i wanted to do mary tyler moore so Gilligan's Island will have to be number five. So okay. in a few years, we'll do Gilligan's Island. Well, yeah. Maybe I'll start my own. Maybe. Well, you can. There's yeah, nothing stopping you. I know, you. but it's boring when it's one person. Except for my cranky so notes work. from a cranky editor. That's but not that's boring. that's sure. And it's, it's, and it's more informational. And it's... Right. It's I actually write down what I'm gonna <laughs> say and then don't deviate much from yeah. my what I've written down. Um the other keep thing the tangent is, So I'm gonna read Toby Ball. I bought his book last year at Crime Wave. Break Bake. Crime Bake. At, Crime Wave is I one of I bought his book last year at Crime Bake. can you tell us what the title of his book is? And Toby Ball is one of the co-hosts of Crime Writers On. And he has his own podcast now. He um, does. Is he alone on that podcast or does he have other no, people on No, there's somebody else. Invisible Streets by Toby Ball and is his, the next book And I'm his other podcast, and the podcast That's the he's, first in a trilogy of, it's like a dystopian, it's in the 30s, it's like a parallel 
universe. So his other podcast is Radio Free Dystopia. I don't like to read, not that it's all about me writing my mystery novel, but I'm way behind on it, as you may have gotten the... Yeah. But I don't like to read mystery fiction while I'm writing mystery fiction. Part of it is I can't truly enjoy what I'm reading because I'm constantly thinking about the writing and writing and mine. It's not even like I have to keep myself. I just have no desire to read mystery fiction while I'm writing mystery fiction. I do like to read true crime. I just finished Joseph Wamba's Fire Lover, which was very good. It was about serial arsonist John Orr. It actually made me want more than what I got out of it. I'm also reading, and this is for our book group in a couple weeks, and I have many issues with it that maybe we can talk about it. We'll talk about it, book group. The Stranger in the Woods by oh, Michael Finkel. It. That's about the North Pond hermit, Christopher Knight. And he did interview him and stuff. Part of it is when you read a book about something you have a lot of knowledge about already. Which you do. It can be annoying. But here's one issue I'm going to say here about that book so far. We grew up in Augusta, Maine. It is a small city. And he gets some very basic details wrong that would have been very easy to get right. And I'm not talking about esoteric knowledge. I mean, he talks about the empty factories and mills on the riverfront and what they made, but there are no empty factories and mills. I also think he was on that block of Water Street where the Colonial Theater that they're fixing up is, and the old, the one building that's left from Edwards Manufacturing that they want to make into that Francophile Museum. Mm -hmm. Michael Finkel had worked for the New York Times. He got in trouble for... Writing a story out of Africa for the New York Times Magazine where he, depending on how you look at it, he either made things up or he made composite characters out of a bunch of characters, which is his explanation of it. And, you know, it's two ends of the same um, stick. It's not, yeah, it's not But he, he wrote a pretty good book about how about that happening and about this guy who had killed his family who fled to Mexico. Well, and they who, made a movie out of that. Right, who took on his persona. But I can't help, and, I, and I'd like to think I read, started reading The Stranger in the Woods with as much of an open mind as I could have. And there are some things that are very good, and I really like the way it starts. But I feel like he was almost free and easy and a little lazy, like with his depiction of Augusta. And he did come to Augusta because he describes going to the jail where I used to deliver newspapers to visit Christopher Knight. So there are things he got wrong, like even how far Knight's camp in the woods was from Knight's home in Albion, Maine, he got wrong. There are things that would have been easy to get right, and I still would have noticed them no matter what his history was. But I can't help thinking, well, here he is not really caring about getting the details right. And he's from Montana, and I know most of the people who read his book aren't going to be from Maine, aren't going to be from Augusta, and they're not going to know or care that there are little details that are wrong. But my feeling is don't put in details if there are the wrong details. Especially in a nonfiction book. Right. It's one thing if it's a mystery, I mean, a, oh, mystery, sure, a, a, a novel a, a set a in a place, which is annoying enough. Right. It's like the Burger in, King on <laughs> it's a, That's annoying enough, but when it's a nonfiction book, you don't really have any artistic license. You don't. And to say, and I almost feel like he said, and again, I would have thought this even if I didn't know his history, that he said, here's how I want to depict Augusta, Maine. Who's going to really know I got it wrong? People in Augusta don't Or he drove, <laughs> he drove through downtown, and he talks about the empty downtown streets, and it's, it's, depending on the time of day, a bustling little downtown. Sometimes it's busy down there, yeah. But it's it's three blocks. It's You have it's to be little. going. You don't drive through it to get anywhere. You have to be going downtown to go through downtown. Yeah. It's down by the river, and you have to take a turn either way to get down there. There will be times, like, say, 7 o'clock on a Sunday night or something, 
Even in the middle of the day on Sunday, when it's, it's going to be dead. When yeah. it's going to be dead, even though there are restaurants and people live down there and stuff. I, I feel like maybe he drove through and, his, and it's like, okay, this is Augusta, Maine. So I'm trying not to let those details. And I have to say, reporters at the papers I work for tried, but not the way he did, to get interviews with Christopher Knight. And he's the one guy Christopher Knight allowed to come yeah. interview him. And so his details about what Knight's camp were like and what Knight was thinking and how he operated are very interesting. Oh, and here's another issue I have with this the book, and I'm halfway through. Maybe it'll be explained, but the fact it isn't explained out front bothers me. He started a correspondence with Christopher Knight, sent him a story from National Geographic that he'd written, and but he doesn't make clear... If Knight was aware he was going to write a book, Finkel doesn't make clear to the readers of the book if he was planning to write a book. The first time he visits Knight in jail, he has a notebook and a pencil that he puts up on the thing, but he still hasn't said to us, yeah, I'm interviewing him because I'm going to write a book. Hmm. And he hasn't said tonight, from what I can tell, I'm going to write a book. And I would assume Knight would have known the reason he befriended him. When did he make that transition from, hey, I'm your friend corresponding with you because we can identify with each other on certain levels, to, oh, hey, the stuff you're telling me is all going to go in a book. I can't tell, and if I'm wrong about this, I'll do a big mea culpa. Maybe I, when I was reading, I missed it. Mm -hmm. But I feel that's not likely. I feel like I was feeling, when I was reading, I'm waiting to read the part where he explains to Christopher Knight that he's writing a book, and I've passed the part where the first time he visits him in jail and the hmm. second time. Interesting. So I feel he isn't upfront about that. Maybe he's just used to not being upfront. As a reader and a journalist, it bothers me that it wasn't. It's not laid out more clearly, and it makes me wonder how clearly it was laid out to Christopher Knight. Ah, okay. So I'm finishing that up. As I said, I can't read fiction but I can read true crime. I haven't seen the new season of Orange is the New Black. Ah, I've read some see. mediocre reviews of it. I thought it was okay. Yeah. and um, It was more character-driven yes. than plot-driven. Yeah, that's It was right. just mostly about the characters. Well, one review I Part read said it. the characters have kind of devolved into caricatures of those. I don't know about that. Well, once I've seen it, we can talk about it that. It was kind of, there were annoying things about it. It wasn't the best, mm -hmm. but, you know. And I whatever. have to finish up Better Call Saul, but I really can't do anything until I, I'm going to be reading a lot of Writer's Digest yes, books, and I can't do much of anything till I finish that. Your last time doing it. I hope. I hope. Don't let me ever do it again. Make me, don't I've let me. I've told you not to do it. I know you, you have. Listen, so. um, Is there anything else we need to talk about? No, I don't think so. So we'll be back the first week of August. Yes. And until then, you can still follow us on social media. Yes. At Crime and Stuff. Yes. On our Facebook page. Uh, crime and stuff. Crime and stuff. Yes, crime and stuff on Facebook. Please and like our Instagram. page. Instagram. We haven't follow put much us. up there. And like we'll, it and follow us. Like it. Yeah, you can do both. It's gotten confusing like, on no, Facebook. Facebook is very. You confusing. can email us at crime and stuff online at gmail dot com. Or go on our. Website. Or go on our website, Crime and Stuff Online. And you can online. contact us from our website. And, you can, and in the meantime, if you miss our voices, you can listen to GroovyTube. Yes. Look it up on, on iTunes. Uh, go on our website, which is GroovyTubePodcast.com is our website. Mm -hmm. It's a little less robust than our Crime and Stuff website, uh, which I will update with our more stuff. Yes, we have to update. update That's the other thing you're going to do in yes. these week, a couple weeks off is and update, our, uh, update our the website. Crime. Yeah. And our GroovyTube podcast is a little more structured, but it has the same type of discussion that you're used to hearing from us. Yeah. The same type of attitudes. Yeah. <laughs> 
things. And you can always, for crime and stuff, donate at Patreon or PayPal. There are buttons on our help website. Us, help us pay. Maybe we'll get you new microphones. You can get some neat merch. Better software, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Um, and we do pay Blueberry, which is our hosting. That If you click on through our site, if you want to go and host a podcast on Blueberry or use yeah, it, it's a nice you can hosting click on it through our site. And the other thing is we are, we're going to get merch. Uh, for Groovy too. Yeah. We have merch for ours, but we do it for donators. Right. If you maybe, donate, and you can donate a very little, you can donate $2 a month and still get some merch from yeah. us. Yeah. That's it. Is that it? I don't know. I so guess so. We'll, okay, we'll see you You'll in be hearing from weeks. us in August. Okay. And until then, there's always Groovy Tube and Notes from a Cranky Editor. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. True. 17. 18. If you stop doing that, I can say it again. Okay, wait. I have 17. 18. 13, no. 14, 15. 16, 17, Look, 18. Wait, let me tell you. Six episodes. I've got 13, 1, 14, 2, 15, 3. I counted on my fingers. 16, 4. Are you telling me that I don't have 18? 18 Fuck me. I'm Maureen Milliken. And I'm Rebecca Milliken. And we're really excited about a new podcast we have dropping, Groovy Tube. Yes. And we watch a lot of TV as kids, a lot, and it's still influencing us today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It is. No, we watch TV all the time. And, and you know, we read, we read a lot too, so anyone that yeah, says so we're not stupid. Well, well, you know. But this is kind of looking at our childhood TV shows through the lens of... Through the lens of, of being not only an adult, but just through the time passing. How do they stand up as far as what's acceptable in society today? What was acceptable back then? Stuff like that. It's interesting. And, and other things, too. Yeah. Just have funny things. And, yeah, funny things. And things. we know these shows had an influence on people because people, our generation and people younger, references... And we have a lot of affection for the... Yes, we do. We will be, you know, criticizing stuff too, but it's like the way you criticize people that you... That you care about. And so so for the first season, The Crimes of the Brady Bunch, we're going to be talking about the Brady Bunch. Yes. We're going to have 22 episodes. episodes. And each one we're going to talk about about half a dozen shows. We're going to go through chronologically in case you want to follow along. Yes, on Hulu or... um, they're on CBS app. There's some missing. But there, we found them on YouTube. Yeah, we found them on YouTube. And we're You going, can buy the DVDs if you love them that much. And we'll talk about the episodes. We'll have some fun facts. We'll each have at least one, if not more, favorite quotes yes. from that group of episodes and talk about those. Here's a sampling of what you might expect from our show. So the premise is the... Girls want to play in the boys' crappy old clubhouse. Which the first and only time we've the ever first, seen that. As I said, thing. and at the end they build a clubhouse for the girls, and that's the first and only time you yeah. see that one. Because that's another thing that goes through the entire series. Something happens, or there's some symptom or some problem that only happens in that episode. Yes. Like Chan sneezing. If she was allergic to fucking Tiger... She would have been sneezing from the wedding no on. Shit. She wouldn't have been sneezing. And like Fluffy, never, never ever to be seen again. Right. And this is something.
something I didn't realize, that they didn't want to also have yes. Carol be a widow, so it was very vague. They never mentioned him, because, according to Barry... But it's like, way, way to go, former Mr. Carol Tyler, or whatever wasp generic name they had, that, you know, you just abandon Martin. your three daughters and nobody ever talks about you again. I know. Maybe she killed him. Yeah. According to... Um, Barry Williams. Barry Williams. Sherwood Schwartz who was the was producer the and producer. Uh, the network locked horns over the fate of Carol's first husband. This is quoting from Barry's book. Sherwood wanted him alive, well, and happily divorced from Carol, but the network demanded his death. Sherwood <laughs> met with the brass, smiled, nodded, and was extremely polite, but paid no attention to their suggestions. He left the fate of Carol's father, the girl's father, uncertain. You may notice she never refers to the guys being dead. Well, and they never refer after the first episode to the either one of them. So yeah. She says, "I'm sure if the girls had a dollhouse uh, and the boys, why was that your quote? It's my quote." Scheming and fucking yes, mind games and trickery <laughs> and sadism that goes on. But Alice says, who needs an old Victrola when stereo comes in? <laughs> and I was like, what is she? Was she is like, did she, she have sex with them too? Yeah. Okay, so that's some of what you're going to hear on GroovyTube. You can subscribe on iTunes. Or uh, on, on our, our website, groovytubepodcast.com. Groovytube, and that's groovy tube. tube. All one word. Podcast. And the website is groovytubepodcast.com. Yeah. And we're looking forward to having a groovy time with you guys. Yeah, it's solid. It's going to be out of sight. Solid. That'll be season two of the Mod Squad. Don't wig out, man. Special thanks to Ben Sound for our groovy music.